Thanks for choosing to join us for In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Looking forward to another hour here together, Michael. And look at that. We're in the studio. Wow. (laughs) After all these years, we're back. (laughs) This uh, this program has been around for a while, and it's uh, fun to get back together again to record new programs. Mm -hmm. So we're going to hear some interesting conversations, I feel, here today. We're going to talk to Scott Rowley. My in best the second friend. Half. Yeah. I know yeah. how much you love Scott. I, I do love Scott. And, and and those of you who are familiar with the program, we've had Scott on a lot in the past. And he is a, he's a person who's just all heart. Uh, I've never known anybody like Scott Rowley. And uh, he's going to talk to us about you know transitions and, and moving and uh, that sort of thing. And, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Yeah, we'll get to that in the second half of the yeah. program. Hey, I've been praying for you the last couple of weeks. I know you've been on the road a lot. Yeah. Uh, three weeks on the road altogether here yeah. without ever getting home in the meantime. Yeah, right? I haven't been gone that long in a long time. And uh, something happened. I was I was supposed to be gone one week and then home a week and then and then back out the third week. And that middle week, uh, uh, I was going to a retreat center. And one of, the, one of the speakers who was supposed to be speaking that week had a family crisis. And so they called and said, well, you know, last minute, would you come? And of course, and I'm not going to say no to that. So I ended up being being gone for three weeks. But the 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 wonderful thing is, uh, it was one week was at Maranatha, which is a camp that's on the shores of Lake Michigan, and the other the the place where I was two weeks was Sandy Cove, Maryland, um, and I was with people for three weeks who their idea of a vacation is to go study the Bible. And, <laughs> Your kind uh, of people, huh? <laughs> well, my kind of people, but actually in many ways kind of more more uh, spiritual than me. I don't know if I'd want to do that for vacation. I do that all the time. But um, met so many wonderful people. Um, uh, young man, uh, Daniel, who's this, uh, he was an engineering student um, uh, and just really don't know how to describe it, just sort of fell in love with the guitar. And now he's uh, he's going to change his major. He's going to go to another school. He, he's got he's such a smart kid. He's got um, uh, his tuition paid. You know, scholarships for everything. Hmm. And uh, and just to see this, you know, eighteen, nineteen year old kid change the course of his life and be excited about something. I don't know. It was it was good for me to see that. Yeah, it's got to be else. fun. It's got to be humbling too to to meet the people that you get to meet. Well, the, the encouragement. You know I'm an affirmation junkie, right? So it's never enough. But yeah, it, I know that. Who it, isn't? <laughs> well, but some of us have, have it worse than others. But uh, to be with the same group of people for a week and have meals together and spend that kind of time together. I understand. And then to get you know encouragement from those sort of people is one thing. I mean, it's great when someone just in passing, but someone that you've had lunch with all week long who says nice things to you, that yeah. you have to believe them, I guess, at one yeah. point. I'm never quite sure if it drains a person like you or energizes a person it, like you. It does both at the same time. It really does. There's a part of you that pours out, and that's a good that's a good thing too. But then there's that other part of you that gets filled up with encouragement. And and for me, because my life is so scattered right now, I'm doing lots of different things and not focusing on one thing like I used to do for a long period of time. It just helps you to remember. Okay, this is what helps people. This is what encourages people. And maybe. Spend more time doing that. Yeah. We've yeah. been asking listeners to contact us, to introduce themselves to us. I think that's been fun to get the emails uh, from people. Oh, it's great to hear what they have to say. Our email address, in the studio yeah. at michaelcard.com. Our producer, Joe Carlson, saw one of those emails come in and decided to call the listener up. Now, here's the bad part of this. Joe cut himself out of the interview oh. that we're going to hear, which we scolded him for. Yes, we did. We <laughs> so did. We're going to hear from the listener, but not producer Joe. It will not happen again. <laughs> but uh, Amy Nofsinger uh, wrote to us, and she's obviously a fan. And I know that that you know can be taken too far sometimes, and you know you can feel uncomfortable with that. But all glory goes to God. Absolutely. I mean, we know that. Absolutely. We know that about you, and we know that about uh, what Amy intends here. So shall we? Uh, shall we listen to Amy? And she's going to uh, tell us what she likes about the program. And when you hear this, I hope that it will spur you to write to us, not to, you know, just dump praise on everything, but no. just tell us what you enjoy and what you'd like to hear more of and yes. give us a song request. Help us know what's working and what's not working. And if, you, you know, if you're critical, please be nice because some of us have thin skin. Here's what Amy <laughs> said about Michael and in the studio, and then she gives us her song request. I was in high school um, in the late 80s and, you know, raised in a Christian family, listening to Christian radio, and so I heard El Shaddai. And I just love that song. I don't remember. There were other songs, too. 
um, that I had heard that I loved and didn't really know who did them. And then I was in college at Cairn University now, but I remember walking around and they had signed up, Michael Card in concert. And I'm like, oh, I, don't, I wonder who that is. So I remember the one day I was walking down the hall and I saw this guy go the other way. And I'm like, that's the guy on the posters. I'm like, that's Michael Card. I'm like, huh. He's just a normal guy walking around. That's really interesting. And then went to the concert that night, and um, I was just blown away. I'm like, oh, he's the one who does this song. Like, I love this song. And then there was another couple that I'm like, ah, oh, he's the one who does it. I love this song. <laughs> and um, so just kind of fell in love, you know, with his music and his heart and everything. And so that was in 1989. And then 1991... Um, my husband and I got married, and we used um, a couple of his songs in our wedding. We used Arise My Love and um, Meditation Number 4, Selah. So in 1993, our first daughter was born, and we wore out our Sleep Sound in Jesus tape with her. It's just like it actually got completely worn out. And in 2009, a man from our church wanted to send us to a concert at the Cove, in North Carolina, and so we chose one specifically that was Michael Card doing the John Biblical Imagination Conference, so it was just wonderful. It was a thing for pastors. So we've just kind of been um, groupies for a long time, and um, my husband, in the last few months, has started listening to the, uh, in the studio, of course, there's old ones, and so until now, we've had like a half an hour drive to work together. It's just like perfect to listen to after the program, and we just really enjoyed it. And then I saw on Facebook that they're going to start recording again. I was like, ah, dear, did you know they're going to start recording in the studio again? This is so awesome. So then we listened to one of the first ones the other week, and they said, oh, send us your you know, request for what song you'd like. I'm like, ah! The first song that I ever loved before I even knew it was Michael Card is El Shaddai. It's just so, it's so perfect. It's like everything, like everything that Michael Card's music is about, like digging into scripture and uh, the Hebrew words and the deeper meaning behind things. I mean, everything. It just, it makes you think, it makes you feel, it makes you closer to Christ and just love it. I don't know what else to say, but we just have loved and appreciated his heart and his music and his teaching for so many years. He's learned a lot from him, and his, he's just kind of been a part of our family for a long time. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai, age to age, you're still the same. By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai Through your love and through the ram You save the son of Abraham by the power of your hand, turn the sea into dry land. And to the outcast on her knees, you were the God who really sees. And by your might, you set your children free. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. El Elyonah Adonai Age to age, you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift time of Christ was near, though the people could not see, 
what Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand. Your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your son. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same by the power of a name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erechim Kana Adonai. We will praise and lift you. Well, Michael, today we come to John chapter 19 in our continuing study. We're yeah. sad we're coming to the end of the book here, though. Yeah, but uh, w- what an end. Oh, you know, oh, what an end. What a story. What, yeah. uh, what, uh, it's more than a story, though. I mean, it's, it's Jesus yeah. who paid this, and this price for us. It's, it's, uh, it's, this is everything. This is the, the, the one record we have of a perfect life, the only mm. perfect life that was ever lived. Mm-hmm. And we have this precious account of it, and uh, it, it really is uh, it's beyond words. Well, we have a few minutes here. Let's, uh, let's look at chapter 19 of John. Yeah, let's look at 19. Uh, 19 is another uh, uh, a deeper sort of insight into the, the character of Pilate, and so we'll look at him. Uh, and we need to look at uh, basically this this uh, Roman uh, means of execution that we refer to as crucifixion. Uh, in the very first verse, um, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, um, what you need to know is that flogging is a part of crucifixion. Um, it, it hastened the death of someone who was crucified. I think that in the ancient literature, the, the record was eight days. Uh, there was actually once a person who 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 lived for eight days, uh, hanging on a cross. Just which, the loss of blood would be. Well, my guess is that person wasn't wasn't flogged because that's what the flogging does. It hastens your death. It's almost um, it's um, a way of showing mercy. When Julius C- Julius Caesar, before he became emperor, he had been uh, kidnapped by pirates. And uh, after he uh, got away from the pirates, he had told them he was going to crucify them, and he did. And interesting, the detail is when he crucifies these pirates, he cuts their throats. So they'll, they'll bleed out more quickly and they'll, they'll die quicker. And so flog, they, they usually flog someone uh, before um, they crucify them. But this is something that, that I'm suspicious of, and I don't have the hard evidence for this. But I do know that at one point, um, Pilate flogged Jesus just to try to get the the crowd to have compassion on him and change their minds about wanting him crucified. Oh, okay. And some sometimes I wonder if perhaps Jesus wasn't flogged twice. I don't have the cold hard evidence for that, but I'm suspicious that he might have been flogged twice. Mm. And the other thing you need to know is, you know from the Jesus movies when you see a flogging, yeah. It's 37 38, <laughs> right? 39. <laughs> Well, that, that's not a Roman flogging. That's a Jewish flogging. When Paul says, I received, you know, the 39 stripes, that's synagogue discipline, okay? If, if I'm a very devout, holy Jewish man and I want to prove to you how, how really spiritual I am, I'll submit to synagogue discipline, and that's 39 lashes with a rod on, on my bare back. And 39, because the Bible says you're supposed to get 40, but true true to Judaism, you know, the, the exactitude, I'll give you 39 just in case I miscounted, <laughs> right? But what you need to know is that these aren't Jews flogging Jesus. Yeah. These are Romans. Much and worse, huh? There was one stipulation for Roman flogging. A man will be flogged until the flesh hangs from his back. Oh. Uh, people were actually disemboweled by flogging. Um, there's a, an account of a, ro- a, a woman being flogged, and uh, she lost an eye from being flogged because you've got not a rod, mm-hmm. but you've got a cat of nine tails with glass and bone embedded and lead in, yeah. embedded in the straps, mm-hmm. and and that's that's his that's the first um, uh, part of this excruciating 
uh, ordeal that jo- uh, that Jesus suffers for us. And then you've got this mocking crown of thorns. You've got the crown of thorns, and again, this is a very Roman thing. You know, think back of all your, all the pictures you know of Julius Caesar. Yeah. What's he got on his head? The wreath, the laurel he's, wreath. Right, he's got this laurel wreath, and in in in, in the Roman world, and this is really barred from Hellenism, from the Greek, crowns were made out of uh, um, green, mm-hmm. you know, something green. Uh, if if you won, uh, if you won a, a prize at the Corinthian Olympics, they were referred to as the Isthmian Games. They had a wreath of withered celery. That That's the <laughs> crown that you had won. And so when Paul will say to the Corinthians, don't labor for a perishable crown. Yes, yeah. so he's talking about this Piece withered, of rotten celery. <laughs> withered celery business. And so uh, a, a crown that's made out of uh, green branches, you know, that, that makes sense, except the fact that these, these are thorns. Mm. So this is a twisted, sick example of of, of human humor gone and gone a, wrong. And a purple robe that goes with the crown of thorns. It's right. all mocking. Right. A purple, and and this is probably a horse blanket or something like that. I think. Uh, uh, and then yeah, they 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 uh, uh, literally uh, verse uh, three, the end of verse three. Literally, they keep giving him blows with their hands. They kept on beating him and kept on beating him. And the other interesting detail you need to know is that there's a Roman game called King. And uh, if, if you go around uh, the ancient Roman uh, ruins, often in, in the, on the floor in the stones, you'll see like a checkerboard, you'll see a square. And what they basically did, they had a, they had a uh, you would roll the dice and you would you move your, uh, your pawn, as it were, through the squares. And at one point you would put a crown on it. At one point you would put a robe on it. And when you got to the end of it, it would be king, oh, and you'd win the game. Okay. So some people think that they were basically playing a game with Jesus like with a real pawn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're putting the robe on him. They're putting the crown on him. And then the one who wins, you know, cries out, "King!" Yeah. Well, we've got the whole episode of Pilate, and uh, we talked about Pilate last time. Yeah, he comes back out. And the next thing is the the famous "Ecce Homo," uh, "Behold the man." And um, you you see this progression in in Pilate as he again and again John focuses on the innocence of Jesus just like Luke does, and Pilate has decided you know he is not going to let this man go. But the other thing you need to know is that Pilate hates Jews, and he is going to going to antagonize this group of people you know any way he can. And you see that you know shall I crucify your king? He knows that's going to make them mad, and uh, and they really get uh, upset. We have a law that according to our law, that man must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Uh, Pilate hears that, um, and being a, a, a suspicious uh, Roman, he's, he's fearful. He takes Jesus back in, and he keeps on uh, questioning Jesus. He's more and more afraid of Jesus. And then in verse 12, that famous statement, we talked about this earlier, um, um, in, in verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. That whole verse tells it all. From then on, upon this, literally, it means when Pilate talked to Jesus in private, uh, Jesus tells him, listen, you have no power over me that wasn't given to you. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate has this little compassionate exchange with Jesus where Jesus basically says, look, you're you're really not the guilty one here. The guilty one are the people that handed me over to you. And John says, upon this, Pilate decided, I'm going to let this guy go. Hmm. Right. And that's at the point uh, he hears this voice from the crowd saying, or the, the voices in the crowd saying, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. And what you need to know is friend of Caesar is a formal title for a provincial governor uh, of a Roman province, which Pilate was. And Pilate had come uh, into power uh, because of his friendship with a man named Elias Sejanus, who had just been uh, executed a couple of years earlier by Tiberius for lying to the emperor and uh, persecuting the Jews. And in fact, after Sejanus died, Tiberius made a, an edict that said, persecution against the Jews will cease. And what eventually happens to Pilate, uh, because of mass executions in Samaria, some 300 people he, he executed in Samaria, Pilate is called back to Rome to, to stand before charges before Caesar, just like Sejanus did. But as Pilate's going back to Rome, Tiberius dies, oh. hmm. and Pilate disappears. 
Some people think he uh, executed himself, committed suicide. Nobody knows. Pilate just disappears He's gone at that point. after this episode. Yeah. So, and, uh, so they uh, they say if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Right. Which that 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 turned him back the other way. Then, right. At, at, at that, listen, verse thirteen. When Pilate heard this, okay, that's mm-hmm. that's important. Pretty clear. He brought Jesus out, sat him down, and basically said, "Okay, he's yours. I'm handing him him over to you." Uh, Here's your king, still trying to antagonize them. And they say, take him away, crucify him. And so uh, completely unheard of that a Roman official would hand uh, a person that he believed was innocent over to mob violence. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And this, this abdication of the messianic hope, we have no king but Caesars. Now, you imagine a group of righteous Jews saying something like that. They are whipped into such a frenzy. We have no king but Caesar? Unbelievable. And finally, in verse 16, Pilate hands him over to be crucified. And Bill Lane used to to remind us that the shudder of the cross, the pain of the cross, is still remembered in the word excruciating because the the core, the root of the word excruciating is cruxus, is cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anything that's excruciating uh, should remind you of the cross. Jesus is carrying the cross beam. Uh, He has a, a, a a piece of, of wood that's probably been covered with gypsum that makes it white, and the title has been, been uh, uh, written across that um, uh, king of the Jews, and uh, he has to make his own way to the cross. And, and as the crucifixion begins, and this is important to John, a whole series of Old Testament prophecies, one right. after the other. They're like dominoes. Mm-hmm. They keep falling. Mm-hmm. And the first one is Isaiah uh, 53, 12. They crucified him with two on uh, either side, and Isaiah had said that he would, he would die in between you know, the malefactors. Mm-hmm. Again, we have a little insight into the character of Pilate in verse 22. They, they, uh, the Jews are upset by this title. It's called a titulus that's hanging around Jesus' neck. That, uh, that says king of the Jews. And they say, no, change it to this man claimed to be king of the Jews because that's his crime. And how does Pilate respond? What I've written, I've written. What I've written, I've written. Are you beginning to get the character <laughs> of this man? This is a man that's caught between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> and, uh, and he's done something, uh, obviously, that uh, is despicable. Now, when I read this, uh, starting at verse 23, the account of the crucifixion, uh, my mind goes back to Psalm 22, right? And and it how should. detailed uh, the the psalmist centuries before right wrote about this. The, there is a more detailed account of the crucifixion of Jesus in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. They pierced his hands and feet. That's from the Old Testament. Okay, in in the in the gospel accounts of Jesus being crucified, it never says, and they nailed his feet to the cross, and they nailed his, his hands to the cross. In the New Testament, Jesus shows them his hands and feet after yeah, he's right, read. right. But there's no account. Nowhere does it say that. The, the gospels just say, and there they crucified him. But it's in the it's in the Psalms that we learn that they pierced his hands and feet, and it's in the Psalms we hear this story about the four uh, soldiers. Uh, uh, gambling for his mm-hmm. casting uh, lots. That's Psalm twenty-two, yeah. eighteen. And but here's another little detail for you. Think about this, Wayne. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, mm-hmm. one for each of them. Mm-hmm. So how many? There are four of them. There are four. There, there's your image. When Jesus is crucified, there are four soldiers that are assigned to that detachment. Now, how many did they send to arrest him? From two <laughs> yeah, to six hundred. Right. So uh, apparently. The Romans aren't afraid and the Jews aren't afraid that uh, anyone's going to take him and rescue him now because everyone has deserted Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just four soldiers. Michael, our time is gone, but we've not uh, completed chapter 19, dealing with the death of Jesus on the yeah. cross and the burial of Jesus. Yeah. I would just like to encourage our listeners, knowing how much you've taught us to this point, to just open the scripture and read this and meditate on the death and burial of Jesus. Place yourself at the feet of the last living disciple of Jesus and hear him tell you this story. From the pages of the prophets, he stepped out into the world and walked the earth in lowly majesty. Though he had been creator, a creature now was he. Come to bear love's sacred mystery. 
was called a liar, the only lover hated so. He was many times a martyr before he died. Forsaken by the father, despised by all the world. He alone was born to be the crucified. So glad that we can hear Michael's music as a part of our conversation here in the program each week. And the songs fit so perfectly with what we talk about. Today, John chapter 19, I was just thinking, if you'd like to go further in the book of John, the Gospel of John, then look for Michael's book, John, the Gospel of Wisdom. It and the other books on each of the four Gospels are all available at michaelcard.com along with his music, michaelcard.com. And once again, our email address is in the studio at michaelcard. Coming up... Our guest will be our good friend, Scott Rowley, talking about transitions in life. That's ahead here in the studio with Michael Card. More music from Michael coming up in a few moments, but you know the guy who's on the line with us right now. You know him perhaps better than anybody except Linda, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, this is my best friend. Uh, We met uh, 35, 40 years ago, and the day we met, we became best friends. Scott Rowley, welcome. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Michael. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to hear your voice. I know you're on the road. Yeah. And uh, it's a tiring thing, but uh, thank God for your calling and your friendship. Well, I'm I'm thankful for all the years that we had on the road. We it was it was hard work, but boy, did we have a lot of fun. Uh, I've heard the stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll hey. not be able to tell them today. <laughs> yeah, right. Some other time, right? <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, Scott, I was just thinking about the first time that you ever joined us on this program. We talked about you moving, right? And you moved into Hard Bargain, and now we're going to talk about another move. I guess here today. Uh, that's right. I went from Meadow Green to Hard Bargain. And the last 22 years, we've been invested into a low-income neighborhood here in Franklin, where Michael lives, and where we've had our ministry center. And uh, yes, I am now leaving in the next three weeks to move to another low-income neighborhood in North Nashville called Bordeaux. Like the like the French wine sounds nice. So, um, it's it's where uh, the city dump is. So oh, let me okay. let me start there. <laughs> well, you're moving to Bordeaux. Wow. You yeah. Know. yeah. Right. Right. But this is this is coming out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's really going to be a great thing. I'm moving in with my son and daughter-in-law, and uh, Linda and I are moving in with them, and we'll continue the the Franklin Table Ministry here in Franklin because my mother still lives here, and I'll be down here seeing Mike and and all my friends here, but. We're going to initiate some new things up there. It's a definite neighborhood of need. What is the Franklin Table for those who don't know about you? 
Right. Well, the last really 10 years, um, I've been doing what I have kind of, Michael and I have always had a heart to, to follow out, follow the Lord's leading to love our neighbors. And so the, the reality of that was finding ways to do initiation, um, let's call them community development initiatives, those kinds of things where there's a school, a housing project, a food program, a, mercy, a children's clinic. These are things that over the last really 30 years now, uh, have uh, sprung up. That, the Franklin Table is a continuation of that. So I meet with directors and ministers who are in the area across race, across denomination, across economic divides, very much like the old Empty Hands Fellowship where we met weekly to really find out about each other and get to know each other. So I've just continued that same thread of ministry. It's one of the things that grew out of Empty Hands. We have uh, New Hope Academy and Jericho Law Office and uh, Mercy Children's Clinic. All all those things really came out of well, Empty Hands, and also Scott really kind of was the point man on every one of those uh, initiatives, and uh, and he still integrates all kinds of ministries. And the wonderful thing is, too, if somebody's looking to to find a place. Scott is really good at that. So I'm constantly saying, you know, they get, I want to get involved with the department. I said, talk to my friend Scott. <laughs> go, go, my friend. In fact, I had, I, I've sat on a plane today with two guys, and they're, they're going to come to Franklin, and they want yeah. to see New Hope Academy. And so I said, right. here's, here's my friend Scott's number. Call him. Well, that's the truth. It, yeah. it, it, Michael does bring people in to the consistent sort of relational development that goes on with these things, and so we're grateful for that. Well, let's talk about transition, since you're making another transition. Yes, and uh, that means selling the safe house, which is the the name we've given to the place we've lived here on Glass Street in Hard Bargain for these years, and then and then moving to my son's place, as I said. So that transition's a big one because it's real estate and it's a change of of, of you know place. Yeah. Um, but also, emo- yeah, emotionally, it has that same. You know, it resonates with my emotions that I've got to change as well. A lot of my best friends are right here, uh, the closest people that I spend time with every day, right on Glass Street, primarily African-American, primarily lower educational levels, um, and low income. So it will be uh, an interesting thing to change emotionally. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you, Scott. Is is this a hard or an easy move for you? sounds like it's a a hard move. Yeah, it's hard. It's, uh, you know, we've come to it. We believe the Lord's called us to it. Michael, in fact, is making a change, too, and he and Susan and the kids are kind of looking at transitioning and downsizing, and I think that's a good thing for for most of you that have listened to the ideas uh, that we're bringing forth. It's really to say that less is better, and, you know, almost smaller is better. So combining things and learning to transition down is an important part of this. I think uh, we've watched our children who've led us all um, find a way to say, you know, collecting stuff really isn't what it's what it's about. You know, collecting a ton of stuff, um, that only makes life more complicated versus letting go and uh, learning to, to do without those things that you think you can't do without. Yeah, if you two could just sing a song about that, something like <laughs> Things We Leave Behind or something like that. I think what a cool idea. <laughs> I'm such a schmoozer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Well, that, I mean, in terms of what Mike and I really put our minds to, uh, that was it. For some of you that hear our talk about community development, and you, you say, my, that sounds a lot like John Perkins and his work. Yeah. You need to know that in the mid-'80s, Mike and I were touring, and on the bus we got a video of of John Perkins' marvelous ministry in Mendenhall, Mississippi, and we really haven't been the same. It, it really was yeah, it a, cha- a blueprint for us. It changed everything, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Well, Scott, I mentioned that the, the two guys that I sat next to today on the plane uh, and started a conversation, it, it ended up that they knew one of the founders of our group. They knew uh, Dr. Ben Johnson. In fact, they one of them started weeping when I started talking about Ben and telling stories about him. But it was one of the best conversations on race. It, it was They were both African-Americans, and we, we had... It was a short flight. It was only thirty minutes, but we were just, you know, chin wagging the whole time. <laughs> and uh, one of the, one of the, the older guy, uh, we're talking about race in the church and where the church is kind of missing it. And he said, "Yeah, I gave, I came back from Vietnam, and I was uh, uh, I became a Christian when I was in Vietnam." And he wow. has he has veterans hat on, and uh, and I got the, I got home, and one of my friends in Detroit said. You know, uh, you, well, you need to get baptized, and so he says you can come to my church and get baptized as a white guy, 
And so he goes to the Baptist, uh, this Baptist church to get baptized, and they refused to baptize him yeah. because he was black. And I asked him, I said, I said, well, what did you do? And he said, I cried. Mm. And it was wow. power, so powerful because right. this precious guy, he's involved at uh, Carver College where Dr. Ben taught for a while. But we we had just a very redemptive. Uh, I got to tell him what was going on in Franklin, and a, a lot of that, whatever you know, ability, small ability, I have to do that. I really learned that from you because you're you're not afraid to dive in and have you know substantive conversations on race. Yeah, we just um, I think in the mid '80s, as this man was coming back from Vietnam, probably in the early '70s, you know. Racial reconciliation was not on anybody's radar yeah. um, because of civil rights legislation in the mid '60s. People felt like, okay, it's done. We've got it now reconciled. We, you know, we've got equal rights. Well, it didn't. The law didn't change the hearts of people. And hmm. Therefore, on and on, we had to come to grips with that. Early '60s, I of course was at the at the Martin Luther King "I Have a Dream" speech, which actually put me on track. Um, so, as a '66 year old, I have this um, kind of burnt into my my calling that the Lord brought that was racially uh, reconciling, and it came to Franklin, where we've got tons of, uh, you know, the Civil War issue that was here, um, post-Jim Crow, post-Civil Rights, lots of things that are that are still going on, and we, we've got lots of work to do. But to befriend and love and be in relationship with people who are different than we are is the answer. We all know that that's what the Lord's called us to, and now we've got opportunities in our culture today to really venture out and love our neighbors and look for somebody who's different, pray for somebody who's different, and the Lord will bring that, just like that conversation on the airplane. Yeah, and, and let me just say this. Uh, it, when when Scott was 11 years old, his dad was a lawyer for for the Kennedy administration, right. and Scott's dad said, hey, some guy is speaking down on the mall today. <laughs> yeah, and, and really, Scott goes, really? Well, let's go. You know, like, who is it? It was Martin Luther King, and it was the I right. Have a Dream speech. So at 11 years old, you heard that speech. So yeah, Scott is our own Forrest Martin. Gump, right? He, I mean, yeah, he, 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 <laughs> no, he wasn't there, but it was, it was a very uh, enlightening and, and life-changing time, even though at the moment I didn't really know who King was. My dad was a follower, and my dad was a part of the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, he worked for more with Bobby Kennedy than the president, but um, he worked on all sorts of things that were trying to be helpful uh, to make things better for all those that are being abused in our culture, and so much of that still goes on. So, um, yeah, it was a fascinating time to be alive. I, I lived a charmed life and was really grateful. Scott, why are, why are we so afraid? What holds us back from having the conversation that Mike had today on the airplane? I think it's because we don't know each other at all. And and the fact is that when someone speaks and says, I'm an African-American or I'm black, or we don't even know what to call each other, um, it would be great if we just called each other Americans. Or how about brothers and sisters? <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but it, fortunately, um, African and European ways are very different, and they've always been different. You know, Afrocentric and Eurocentric, even even the way we look at time. You know, African people look at time as if, you know, they're, they're in charge of time. The Euros look at time and say, time's in charge of me. And those little subtle differences can create huge problems in the church and other places when people aren't on time the way I think time should be um, expressed mm-hmm. and when people don't dress or act like I think they should dress or act or what they don't sing or do sing. Um, just all sorts of ways keep people uh, away from each other. And I think it's it's just time to you get... Just like Mike said, just blast through it. The Lord's given us this call to to love one another, and uh, and and it takes no time. I'm sure I can sit there right now and watch Michael say something to somebody like the brothers that were sitting next to him, and I guarantee he initiated something and just said, "How are you guys doing?" And hey, 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 and they're off and running, and they yeah. can't wait to talk to someone like Michael Card. They're looking forward to that, but I think we're afraid of each other because we don't know each other. Well, one of the guys, uh, his name's Jim McGee. Jim said uh, he was from Philadelphia. I go, oh, you're from Philadelphia. Did you know Ben Johnson? He goes, the black Ben Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> and, That's and, the greatest. That's right. Yeah, and it's like, you you know a black guy? And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it was, and, and we were off. I mean, and, and in 10 minutes, yeah. we were, you know, we, yeah. were, we were brothers. We were good friends. Yeah, and, that's right. He lives in Atlanta now, and we got we got all kinds of plans to get together and have him up to Franklin. He wants to come see you, so it's it's on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I you know I tell young pastors when they ask how can I get involved with the black church, and I just say go knock on the door of the nearest black church. You can find it. You know where it is. 
and just knock on the door. When the pastor comes to the door, just say, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I want to get to know you. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a pest. And if he slams the door, just knock on the door again. Just keep doing it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like um, being obnoxious for Christ takes us past, <laughs> takes us past so many of these crazy barriers. And it just it just means love. It just means loving yeah. and, uh, and and praying and asking Jesus to show up. Yeah. Well, Scott, you're making this transition, but uh, 20 plus years ago, you made the transition into living in hard bargain and predominantly right. an African American community. What what's the right. number one thing you learned from that experience? Oh wow, my goodness, that's a um, hard one. Well, uh, unbel- I mean, I mean, you, you learn humility. I mean, the, the, what you learn is that all the people that I you know prejud- in my prejudice made decisions about and thought I knew, um, nothing like that was true. And uh, so the humility to realize, I don't know anything about relationships. And, and the more I spend time with my black brothers and sisters, I realize what a, what a trial it is to actually be someone. And again, I've got two African-American children that we adopted, and they're now adults. And they live every day with people judging them because of the color of their skin and making assumptions about them. And I have done that myself. So I think just the reality that I don't really know. I'm, I'm, I'm new to this, and I'm always going to be new to it. And um, I can follow Jesus and watch how he loved people who were very different and, um, and then do that with, with all the, with all the uh, resource and energy I have. Um, but it, it's, it's just so much that there's not one thing other than people are people. Everyone's made in God's image. People are the same everywhere. And we've got to stop this judgment based on certainly on ethnicity and race. What a good word. Wow. Well, and our our mentor, uh, uh, Denny Denson, yeah. uh, when when we'd ask Denny, you know, well, what do we do? Well, we're we're afraid of we're afraid of offending anybody. We're afraid of doing the wrong. And Denny would say, "Do something." He said, "Even if it's the wrong thing, just do something." <laughs> so that was pretty good advice. Yeah, I'll yeah he'd say. say, "Scrape up the bottom of the pot. Stir the pot because you, you know it's going to scrape up bad stuff, but it's going to stir the food." Yeah. And you know, and he would always just encourage us to stay in there and. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's exactly right. Scott, it's a joy to talk with you again. Well, Wayne, it's my privilege. Um, I love, first of all, I love what you do for Mike mm. and the way you've treated him over all these years. Uh, you know, you know what I feel about Mike. Oh, I sure do. So for you and Joe, uh, just God bless you, and I'm going to continue praying for all the work you're called to do. On this their final night They bicker and they fight Still they are slaves to men And not yet slaves to Christ He would give up on words Too tired to speak So he took up the towel And washed their filthy feet The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more they can say the wordless lesson that will set them free tell me how much more a servant could he be he took a loaf of bread he broke it and he said take this my body and remember me He took the final cup And as he raised it up This covenant is new My blood poured out for you The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more That they can say The wordless lesson that will set them free Tell me how much more a servant could he be? He is the slave who always serves himself and makes of himself the final meal. Lived out in flesh so we could see. Tell me how much more a servant could he be? He is the wine and bread. Too much to comprehend He leads us from his knees And serves us as a friend 
In time they'd finally hear The message made so clear Who is the greatest one? It is God's servant son The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more That we can say The wordless lesson that will set us free Tell me how much more a servant could he be? How much more a servant? How much more a servant? How much more a servant could he be? Such an appropriate song to follow up that conversation with the servant mm-hmm. Scott Rowley. Absolutely. And Scott and I wrote that song together. Oh, yeah. wow. That's great. How much more a servant. Michael Card here in the studio. I, I know how close you and Scott have been through the years, and what a wonderful gift that friendship is, or any friendship like that. Yeah. The the day we met, we became best friends, and, uh, I, and I really think you only need one. <laughs> you only need one friend like that in your life. And... Uh, the, our commitment to each other is that we're on each other's side, right or wrong. Yeah. Even if you're wrong, yeah. I'm going to be on your side. Yeah. Which essentially is what Jesus says to us. Right. You know, Mike, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to change for me to love you. I love you. Yeah. You know, so you can change. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I have a friend that the first day we remet, we mm. became best friends because our first go around was not positive. Huh. You know, we had some conflict uh-huh. and all, and then some years went by, uh-huh. and we sort of re- got reacquainted, and, and that day, in a moment's time, we became best friends. Wow. So I, I, I know what you mean, in a way. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know what I would do without Scott. Uh, you know, when I get discouraged, he's the person I call. He doesn't lean on me as much, probably, as I lean on him, but every now and then he'll need, you know, a little encouragement. We'll get together and spend time. So what are your thoughts about taking what we learned from a friend like Scott mm-hmm. and, of course, what we learned from Jesus and the Gospels and putting a life together? Well, what you see in Jesus is he deliberately, you know, builds relationships with people. I mean, and I see it as almost concentric circles of intimacy. He's got the three, the 12, and the and the 70. And the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, he, he spent a lot of time with, obviously. They prayed together. And I think Peter, of course, was the person he was closest to. But Jesus, you know, gives himself to building relationships, uh, pouring himself into uh, these men. But also we see him leaning on them. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, I want you to be with me. Now I want you to pray it so you won't fall into temptation. Yeah, so he's yeah. still caring for them. But um, I think Jesus actively models all of these uh, relationships of uh, aspects of relationship. And he didn't give up on those friends when they failed to pray, when they fell asleep. Absolutely not. And th- I think Peter, that's where Peter's the best example uh, you know, Peter denies him. The third time Peter denies him, Luke tells us they looked across the courtyard at each other and Jesus was looking straight at him. Mm. And uh, I think that's what makes Peter weep. And I think Jesus is not looking at him in a condemning way. He's looking at him in a, you know, still in a loving way. Peter knows. And that's what John 21 is all about. Jesus is letting Peter know, you haven't forfeited our relationship because you let me down. Yeah. Hey, thanks for investing the time it takes to do this program mm. again. Well, same, same uh, in, to you. In the studio. You. And uh, we, we both have enjoyed this so much through the years, and, and yeah. it's rewarding to get the comments from listeners that we've been getting. Yeah, and thanks also to Joe Carlson, who puts all these pieces together. There's so much work that uh, goes into putting this show together, and Joe does all of it. So thanks, yeah. Joe. Yeah. Given what we've talked about here today, what are some thoughts you have about prayer and what we could should be praying about? Well, I think there may be some people who are listening who don't have that one special person in their life. Uh, uh, and that would be a wonderful thing to make a matter of prayer because it's only going to happen through prayer. That someone, Because that's what God does. God brings someone into your circle. He, someone crosses your path at, at that time when you need him the most, and, and that relationship begins. So I think that's if you don't have that person, I would encourage you to pray that you know God would cause your your lives to intersect that way. That's a very good thought, and of course, to have that kind of friend, we need to be that kind of and friend. and to be ready. Yeah, when 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 someone does come to you, you know, who who is needy and, and just needs to uh, to be listened to. I mean, Bill Lane used to say the best way to love someone is to listen to them, and yeah. and that's that's a lifelong uh, learning skill hmm. uh, to love someone by listening to them. 
We heard from a friend earlier in the program who uh, our producer Joe Carlson talked to, Amy mm-hmm. Knopfsinger. When Joe talked to her, he asked her if she would be willing to uh, close this program that we were going to record, oh. knowing that she'd be a part of it, if, oh. she, if she would close oh. it in prayer. Wonderful. And she agreed to that. Uh-huh. So let me reintroduce Amy to everyone here to close our program in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we come to you through the incredible blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and he is the one who brings us together, the one who binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just thank you so much, Lord, for Michael and Scott, their friendship, their commitment to you. Thank you for this this program that not only um, that these guys can commune and, and learn together and, and teach others, but all the people that it's reaching. And I pray for each um, one who's listening to this, that you would encourage them through the word that was shared today, encourage them to have community and um, commentary and creativity with their fellow believers that they're in contact with today and in the coming days. I pray your great blessing on them, Lord, with whatever challenges they're going through, that the word shared today would would deeply impact them and bring glory to your name. We thank you, Lord, for how you will work. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our thanks to Amy, who shared her song request and concluded our session here in the studio with Michael Card. If you have a song you'd like to have Michael perform, please send your song request and a story about its significance in your life. You can email your request to inthestudio at michaelcard.com or find us on Twitter when you search for Michael Card. If today's study of the details of the crucifixion prompted you to want to go deeper into the study of John's gospel, find Michael's commentary on this gospel online at michaelcard.com. Look for John, the Gospel of Wisdom on our website, michaelcard.com. And be sure to tell a friend to subscribe and share in what you've discovered here through this podcast. Please take a moment and write a review in iTunes or Google Play. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Ashley Smith, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us for another session here in the studio with Michael Card.